sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations well, Pride Month is what we're talking about. So LGBTQI community come closer, interact with us. The month has just begun. And uh, for those who have questions around the community or want to show and offer support um, because of the things that we have seen, atrocities that are committed in our communities for a lack of understanding of the LGBTQI community, please interact with us, A-teamers. Ask your questions. Give us your comment. Uh, Celebrate Pride Month on 011-714-2006 or SMS 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. Our guest today is uh, Devan Munsami. Devan Munsami is a gay man and he... He completely understands all that the LGBTQI community faces and uh, more so because he's a South African Hindu gay man in a relationship with a white South African. So this is someone that I think is going to be very representative of the rainbow that we see around Pride Month. Devon, thank you very much for joining us and good evening. Yeah, very good evening to you too. So, Devon, you know, I always get worried um, when we are speaking LGBTQI community. Why I get worried is purely because our community is not accepting as it should be. I don't know whether it's because our community at large is as Africans, not only South Africans, as Africans. Perhaps it's an issue of not understanding or an issue of superimposing what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong. Weigh in on this, Devon. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of, um, in terms of stereotyping and a lot of um, cultural um, belief systems. So, Jewish people thinking about, um, you know, the mother and the father taking the traditional roles in the household, and that's pretty much how identities are formed. Um, so if you look at same-sex relationships as an example, that never really featured in the traditional African household or the traditional Indian household or pretty much in Europe or anywhere else in the world. It's just of late it's becoming, you know, at the forefront and people are now a little bit more open about it and communicating and we're seeing so many more campaigns. But the reality is that it doesn't uh, form part of the norm in terms of what a family should look like. And therefore, it's very difficult for African families to, to grasp the concept, even in 2021. You are Hindu. And, mm. and, and how was the religious you know, community um, towards you when you came out? Now, uh, being a Hindu, a South African Hindu person, um, uh, in India, if, I mean, our heritage is in it, our, you know, our lineage is in India. So there's a third gender in India. So there's a community called the Hijra community, who's almost, um, you know, they, they're not male, they're not female, and, and, and they, uh, they, they, some of it, they're born men, and then they castrate themselves. Um, to worship a particular goddess in in, in India and uh, the mother Hijra. And um, this third gender has been around for, for centuries in India. Some Indians have been desensitized around it. And, um, and, and that particular gender has um, not been integrated into the community, although desensitized, 
they haven't necessarily been integrated into into the communities the way they should have been like uh, like a male or a female in in the community per se so um although they exist they almost frowned upon it's um almost ridiculed they um made fun of quite frequently and they often are not within the mainstream um areas of employment so it's very difficult for these individuals to find work and 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 to sustain themselves and then we get the the parallel with the south african indians um a community that's uh, steepled in tradition and and hierarchy and you've got traditional families like you know the patriarchy and the mother and the father and it makes it very difficult for 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 men and women in the south african in indian or hindu context to come out as part of the lgbt community and to express themselves as being completely authentic um and as we grow and evolve it can become a little bit easier for them but i think it has been largely very difficult if we look at many stories of many people who've come out in the past um there are lots of similarities and parallels between their journeys Mm, definitely. I mean, I, oh, oh, the the religious community and the traditional community are, are those that we say set the, uh, the the foundation or the bedrock for moral standards. And majority of us as Africans follow either the religious path or we follow the traditional path. And 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 when we now are, you know, we are now not open to to having an understanding then it means that we can't freely say Pride Month is celebrated properly in Africa because of a lack of understanding and prejudice. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, the lack of understanding is one factor. And, you know, you mentioned it within certain communities, the African and the Indian different communities in South Africa classism also also plays a role it's just not a very um, at one stage considered a very classy thing to be being part of the lgbt community lgbtqi community um, almost frowned upon it's the lesser sort of option um you know um people often associated it with um underperformance with um a lack of achievement or lack of accomplishment so families generally shied away from this type of thing nobody spoke about it so if they had a particular individual an uncle or an aunt or a relative who was uh, part of this community then generally there's there's a reluctance to disclose it so mums and dads would proudly say you know this is my son the doctor this is my daughter the dentist or the accountant um um you know and then oh and then i've got the other one yeah you know she's she you know she's a lesbian he's gay it was something that was incredibly frowned upon almost viewed in the light of uh, substandard something to be almost ashamed of on a level and um and and that has been almost uh, the identity of the LGBTQI community for many decades in this country where people had this level of reluctance simply because of the negative connotations from the aunts and the uncles and the relatives in those communities so people just weren't forthcoming enough because there's no stature there's no level of um of 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 success associated to it it's always uh, for lack of a better term the black sheep of the family and and something that should be shrouded in a level of guilt and secrecy 
Um, and I'm very pleased that a lot of families have broken that stereotype and, and that association. We're seeing lots of great strides, but the reality is that many families still, in some smaller communities, suffer this type of stigma. Hey, Tima, perhaps uh, you're listening today and uh, you have been asking yourself, will I be accepted um, if I come out and I say I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm bisexual, um, or I'm I'm starting my journey, um, my transitioning journey? (sighs) Call in. I think Devon will be able to give you some insight because he's walked this journey and he's got a full understanding of the South African context and also the religious background of, of what happens. All we're trying to do is make sure that Pride Month in 2021 is really a month that um, takes down all the social ills around what we have been seeing in our communities. Remember, you can WhatsApp your questions or your comments at 2614 Devon, you know, South Africa was the first country uh, in Africa to legalize same-sex marriages in 2006. How easy is the process? As we celebrate Pride Month 2021, how easy is it for a gay couple or a lesbian couple to get married? Mm. You see, um, yeah, it was in 2006 and an historic, really, in the 14th of November, the National Assembly passed the Civil Union Bill. you know, having it passed as a bill is one thing, and the Constitutional Court confirms it. Um, however, having families and, and friends and the community being desensitized is a whole other journey. You know, legislation is one aspect, but acceptance and control and influence is a completely different subject. So when you've got an aspect of the Constitution that's still taboo in the minds of many South Africans or many people around the world, it can be written. But being able to adapt that area or aspect of the Constitution becomes very, very difficult. So traditional norms still play a role. So although the Constitution had changed and it had become legalized in that very same year, we had Zoliswa and Konyana were stabbed and stoned to death in Kailicha. I'm not sure if you remember that for living as, a, as an openly lesbian woman. So it was quite ironic. I felt that it made headlines. But still communities, large communities at that in Kailicha, as we know, is one of the larger communities in the Western Cape. <clears throat> still not completely accepting of somebody part of the LGBTQI community. So my point is that legislation is one aspect of it, but acceptance and and being completely influential in that area of acceptance is a whole other ballgame. So we'll be able to accept it on paper, but to, or, or write it and legislate it on paper, but the transition in terms of accepting completely that my son is, or my daughter is, or I have a nephew is, um, you know, um, uh, part of the LGBTI community, that could be a a, a much longer process to be able to, to go through and a journey that I feel not many families are ready to engage. So civil unions, although accepted as, as the bill and the National Assembly and the Constitutional Court, etc., I'm not convinced that many families were convinced as well as the Constitution was. Look, I, I know that there were some religious uh, leaders who blatantly refuse uh, to um, marry same-sex couples. 
how, how is the LGBTQI community ensuring that uh, people are educated and they don't discriminate? But obviously it is also their right to say, I, I, I would rather not uh, marry a same-sex couple. But how do we then educate them that, yes, according to constitution, it's uh, legal, but it's also not correct to discriminate based on sexual preference? Yeah, it's, you know, as early as, as, as last year, I know that there were several incidences in the Western Cape where same-sex marriages, uh, you know, couples who were ap- approaching certain religious organizations and institutes, and they had been turned away. So everybody reserves the right based on their religious belief system. I mean, that's they, they, they fully within their right to be able to say, no, I'm going to participate in this, or yes, I will participate in this and give it my full blessing. We've got to remember and, 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 and also keep in mind that um, this is legislation. And in this country, and one of the, the reasons you know, I love being South African is I have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom to be myself in just about any instance and situation. And I think those on the slower level of the uptake to be able to recognize that we're part of a nation that is completely inclusive, they will slowly start being very excluded from everybody else who's starting to embrace inclusivity. And when I speak of inclusivity, I'm talking about just about every segment of the rainbow or every segment of this community. So same-sex marriage forms part of that. So um, I would like to see a little bit more in terms of dialogue happening in these religious organizations in terms of the barriers. And why is it socially taboo in that particular congregation or that religious organization to not um, unionize that relationship or not to join them together? It can be very humiliating for the couple. It, It can also be Uh, an instance where people have even um, turned away from a community they've grown up in because the pastor or the imam or the guru or whoever that is refuses to acknowledge them as a member of the congregation. And I think that sends a very strong message to the rest of the community in terms of love and unity and how the whole community should join together. Uh, We still have a lot of hate and a lot of anger and frustration directed at the LGBTQ community. And some of this could be systemic and stemming from uh, the teachings from certain organizations. And I think if the message changed uh, around union and around uh, inclusivity, then perhaps people would be a little bit more tolerant and we won't see this violence. Let's go to a quick break and then we'll be back with some of your messages, A-teamers. Please do interact with us. Pride Month 2021. Um, and and after the break, I know we're going to be getting a bit more sensitive because there have been a lot of reports of hate crimes um, aimed at the LGBTQI community. And I think this is something that will be very sensitive. But do interact with us on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp 0614-104-107. SABC News, independent and impartial. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet Conversations.
We're speaking Pride Month uh, 2021, and um, yeah, we're setting the context around what is happening in South Africa. And um, the Constitution, yes, allows uh, for same-sex marriages, but our people in South Africa are still committing hate crimes, and this is very, very sad. Devon, um, I look at headlines like that of what we saw of... um, Eight known murders amongst the LGBTQI uh, community that happened in mid-February. And most of these happened in townships. And there are activists there. And most of these activists have been saying that it's due to a lack of policing in these communities. How, How can we still in 2021 be experiencing corrective rape and gay and lesbian murders in our communities why are we why are we so ready to kill rape and and maim people who are just living their lives without bothering anyone else Mm. Yeah, you see, this is a deep-rooted um, um, level of, of thinking with, that's formed within our family circles and within our communities. Now, remember, we all conditioned to think about certain things in a particular way. And in certain families and certain communities, the, the mere thought of being different or the, or, or the mere um, talk of being slightly different to what the norm is becomes very scary. And the, the minute that happens and the fear and anxiety starts to set in, then hate speech starts to erupt from that particular family or that community. Remember, children are very impressionable. And if we're going to have conversations around the dinner table or the bride or the party, and, and use very derogatory, demeaning terms to, 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 um, as adjectives to describe a particular community of people. This has a very lasting impression on certain young people. And, and what happens, that tends to manifest itself in, 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 in some sort of fear and anxiety later on in life. And then violence erupts. Anything that's foreign, a new concept and breaks the mold of what I think is norm or what my family has taught me that is the norm in my community and society, I've got to rebel against. So teasing, uh, manipulating, um, name-calling, um, you know, belittling uh, different uh, people in our community who are different to what I am, that can escalate. If the person fights back, it can escalate into a form of violence. And this is what we see in communities. So uh, there's this level of intolerance, and hence we have lots of violence against and, and, and lots of hate speech, even on social media, against members of the LGBT community. So it doesn't surprise me that even now, based on the way in which certain people have been conditioned, there's a very low threshold or low tolerance for any difference in society. I mean, it goes hand in hand with racism. I mean, we've had incidences around the world where people are very intolerable of somebody of a different skin color. Now you're talking about somebody of a different sexual preference or identity. How dare we? You you understand? So uh, human behavior, classically, you know, we we tend to gravitate towards people who are like-minded and similar in certain characteristics and traits that that resonate with me. And the minute you are different, I will react to that. And unfortunately, many people of the gay and lesbian community, the transgender, the intersex community, have fallen prey and victims to this. 
and and it is a harsh reality, not just in South Africa, but in many parts of Africa as well as Asia. Very, very sad reality, and I don't know if we'll ever find uh, a, a time in South Africa where this all ends. And even across other African countries, I mean, no, n- not many are welcoming to the LGBTQI communities. Uh, some still have the laws that it's illegal. Mm, yes, it is pretty much. I mean, there have been many reported incidences of women who've been stoned, of women who've been raped and murdered. Um you know, in other parts of Africa. Uh, we even look in, in as early as 2008, remember the Banyana Banyana footballer, um, Yudi Similani, who was raped and murdered in Kwatema. And this was believed to be a hate crime. So uh, we've had many incidences, and, you know, so many, if we had to have a chronicle of it, um, it would be absolutely alarming. We've even had incidences of, of individuals who were necklaced, tires burnt around them mm. and this uh, you know okay this is quite extreme but uh, what a lot of them suffer from as well is the indignity of being bullied uh, ridiculed name calling uh, you know a, a slightly lesser degree I, I can't think of anything worse than being raped and murdered as a result of it but there are many forms of this level of discrimination and this anger intense anger on the African continent and South Africa um, toward members of the LGBTQ community. Oh, my goodness. Let me go to some of the messages. I'm just so emotional. Um, This one is from an anonymous ATMO. says, Hi, I have lesbian friends, and I accept and love them for who they are, and they are gifted individuals. Regardless of sexuality, disrespect is unacceptable. Communities need to embrace sexuality has evolved with time. Devan, has sexuality evolved? Or is, is, is it because we are now aware of the LGBTQI um, uh, community and we are now more uh, conscientized about the community? Mm. You know, if I, if I look at the way in which, and as you know, I'm a diversity and inclusion facilitator at the college. Um, um, you know, um, we often engage in dialogue around this particular subject. And often it comes up in training platforms or training sessions, people would say, oh, it's becoming very fashionable to be transgender. It's becoming very fashionable to, to now say I'm non-binary or I'm non-conforming or I'm not, I'm not this or that. It's not that it's becoming fashionable. People are given more of a voice now. So people now have um, more rights than they ever did before. Now people don't necessarily have to hide in the closet and, and hide their sexuality. And, 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 and there's more dialogue around it within the corporate space. There's codes of conduct that are being rewritten. So off late, it always existed. Uh, we, we can't make a mistake. Uh, you know, it will be a very foolish mistake to make and say that, you know what, um, the LGBTQ or intersex or transgender people are, are just a recent thing because now all of a sudden there's more conversation about it and therefore my son is being influenced or therefore there's so many of them. And I often hear people say that kind of thing is, oh, why now all of a sudden? So many people want to go through gender reassignment surgery. Why so many people are lesbians? That's not necessarily the case. It could be that those numbers existed previously or decades before. It's just that 
societies and communities were not conscientized around it. They were not ready to have that conversation. And in fact, people's self-esteem and morale was so low that they couldn't dare come out as being different. So how, how, how dare you speak out and say that I'm somebody who prefers to be with a man in a same-sex relationship, or I prefer to be with a woman, or I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body and vice versa. You couldn't say things like that. Now we have protection of the Constitution. We have protection of so many human rights groups who are going to voice their opinion as well in solidarity to the LGBT community. So therefore, it's giving these individuals a stronger voice and a stronger self-esteem. So it's not a new recent thing by no stretch of the imagination. It's definitely been around for a long time. Um, It's just that people didn't talk about it. Mm. More messages here. This one is from Kat and Peter Marisburg. Kat says, uh, hi, uh, Patricia and Devon. I so look forward to the time when our wonderful, genuine, beautiful souls in the LGBTQI plus community can truly feel they have their own unjudged place in society. They can teach everyone so much about tolerance, acceptance and humility. Kat, I agree with you. Totally agree with you. Uh, your your immune, immediate family, Devon, and your immediate community, how supportive are they um, to you since you have come out and, and openly say that you're gay? Mm. Yeah, I'm very fortunate um, in that area is that in that I had a mom and a dad who recognized very early on that, um, uh, for lack of a better word, different to the other kids. And uh, I think they spent a lot of time building my level of self-confidence and, and, and level of self-esteem. So it was quite easy for me to be able to be authentic in many ways. And, um, and you know, um, you know, owning a, a college in South Africa, it's, it's a difficult space to be in part of the LGBT community. But I felt that it bounced back to me in terms of the support that I had from my family and my friends in that I was very confident and I'm always open to talk about my sexuality and and what's going on in my space. And I felt that uh, I had to even write the book about racism and classism. And there's a big chapter that's that's dealing specifically with um, um, LGBT issues. Um, So I think, uh, you know, I was quite fortunate in that way. And I also realized that many of my friends and, and colleagues um, and people that have come across one didn't have that support structure. Some had been disowned. Some had been asked to leave home simply because of the shame. How do you tell your uncle? How do you tell your aunt? We'd much rather you move to the big city or move to somewhere else where we don't have to necessarily deal with you. I never experienced that. But, uh, Patricia, I can tell you that I've heard so many horror stories from friends of mine who went through a, a journey like that. And some hadn't spoken to their dads in years simply because of the shame that it brought on the family um, that this person was different to what their father, because everyone dreams of that big white wedding. Everyone dreams of the, the grandkids. And I don't think any parent looks at their newborn and goes, I hope this child's going to be gay or I hope this child's going to be transgender or intersex. I, I don't think that's part of the ideal fairy tale or landscape and then parents have to themselves start desensitizing and then start to accept now my son actually likes to play with dolls or my daughter actually likes um, you know flannel shirts and cars more than she likes playing with dolls 
And that's very difficult for parents who come from a very, very traditional, stereotypical background. I never experienced that because my parents were a little bit forward thinking. And I find it hard to, you know, it's difficult for, for my mind to conceive it as well because they're traditional Indian parents, um, yet they were so forward thinking. Uh, in fact, I need to ask them why, how did they get to that level? Um, but I do know that many people um, don't have the same experience that I had. Support is really needed, but uh, sometimes other parents are not like your parents, being open and accepting to their children, um, even if they are very traditional or very uh, religious. How do they then, you know, start being open-minded? If you see that your child is displaying, uh, you know, a liking to the same sex. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it starts with, with knowledge. It's going to sound very cliche, but, but the more we understand about certain areas, then the more um, open we are to adapting. Um, many people will not adapt because of a, of a fear and an anxiety uh, in terms of how I'm going to deal with this, how I'm going to relate, with it, uh, relate to it. It's not something I'm familiar with. So understanding as a new parent that there are so many different avenues now and so many different parts that my child could choose. There was a time where some parents couldn't even accept that their child didn't want to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. If you were anything other than that, you're a failure. It's almost the same concept and the philosophy, you know, if I can almost mm. categorize it or class it in that segment. Um, so there'll be pitfalls. There'll be certain areas in your child's development that you may not necessarily agree with. But uh, the fundamentals of parenting um, in any religion, in any community, is having a strong bond and a love and a connection, uh, a guiding, supporting one, so that the child can develop and grow if you're not there. So if you're not going to accept an avenue of your child life, a child's life, it's like your child choosing a partner of a different race group. There were some parents and communities who found it very difficult for a for a maybe um, a Muslim person to marry uh, a Nigerian person or an African person marrying an Afrikaner person, um, it's almost the same philosophy and concept. And slowly we start to become more familiar, desensitized, and communities and and cultural systems start to integrate. Um, gender and sexuality is almost on the same. It's it's slowly getting to that level where I understand different areas of sexuality. And if the World Health Organization is anything to go by, and I'm not sure if the listeners know this, but there is about 63 different genders identified by the World Health Organization. And not many South African parents or maybe parents worldwide know that, that there are so many different layers or levels of gender. And to familiarize yourself with it, um, what are these various genders? And then you prepare yourself better as a parent to be able to talk to your child about hermaphrodite, intersex, uh, bisexual, asexual, etc. Let me go to one of our A-teamers messages here on voicemail. Good evening, Patricia, and our guest there, and our A-teamers. This is Ndombika speaking. Uh, Patricia, the gay community lives in fear, and the people at this fear are our religious leaders because 
They quote from the Bible, they preach in the church, and the church claps hands. So obvious, when they go out, they see a gay person, they feel this person is not right, is not accepted by God. So there's too much work that needs to be done. Thank you, Patricia. Definitely a lot of work to be done, uh, Devon. Yeah, there is a lot of work to be done, and the call is absolutely right. Um, there's, you know, there, there should be forums set up, and I think certain organizations or, or, or areas within the community should be the starting point. But I want to dig deeper, though. It should be the starting point in every family, in every um, relationship with siblings and relatives, and most families are not like nuclear, like a mum and a dad, as an example. So even grandparents, grandmothers and grandfathers who, you know, born in the, in the, in the 50s and the 40s and 60s should start becoming more familiar in terms of how to engage with and communicate with the generation of individuals who are influenced heavily by a new social media stream and who are acting out and and perhaps, um, you know, dressing in a way that doesn't suggest how, uh, you know, they they dressed in the 60s and the 70s. So those families don't necessarily exist. So to drill deeper and and to really um, have messages filter through families. So I think a lot of work to be done in communities. But I think if it starts at family level, where individuals are a little bit more open to dialogue and not dismissing it immediately, then already we start to see waves of change within certain family units. And then the self-confidence of these individuals start to build. Um, The community can build one's self-esteem, but there's no more powerful builder of self-esteem and self-confidence than a very strong, uh, close ally, like a family member or a relative or a best friend. This one really touched my heart. Uh, Anonymous uh, sent us a WhatsApp saying, I was 15 years old when I told my sister that I'm gay, but I think my parents know about it. And at that time I had a girlfriend, uh, but there was no connection. My parents still do not accept me. I am now 22 years old. I am so depressed. I want to commit suicide. Wow, it is a very difficult and hard life to be in. Devon, how, mm. how can you encourage someone like this? Pride Month and people are still in depression because they came out. Mm. Yeah, I empathize with this caller. And if we look at history and, and what has happened in the past, many people were forced into marriages to keep up with pretenses in the community. And what happened in that instance is drug abuse and alcohol abuse and unprotected sex within the gay community became quite prevalent. And people were picking up all sorts of STDs, and, and the numbers are quite horrific. I have the stats. It's, it's too many to share with the listeners now. But the suicide rate and the drug and alcohol abuse amongst individuals who denied their level of authenticity um, was pretty evident and obvious in the LGBT community. So simply because they weren't allowed to express themselves in the way that they should have. I'm tempted to say to the listener or the person who wrote this this, this message um, that there's a choice that needs to be made. Um, you know, um, and, and, and if the parents, uh, you know, and parents who are sitting in a similar situation as this, you have a choice. You know, your child could either be an individual who's 
working through an identity and a process to embrace who they authentically are or dealing with substance abuse to try and suppress um, the authentic self or dealing with a relationship that they're not ultimately happy with in that, uh, in you know, call it five years or ten years until they eventually build up the self-esteem and the, and the, and the courage to, to walk out of that relationship. And I don't believe that the partner who's in that relationship with that individual is completely happy and satisfied and fulfilled either if somebody is in the closet in this way. So do we want our children to to um, live a, a life that suggests you're going to live in a state of anxiety and not necessarily um, deal with uh, leadership um, elements or aspects in the character uh, as opposed to working with your with your sexuality and and the reality is that we want our children to be able to to be leaders to be self sustaining to be supporters in the community and not have sexuality be a hindrance and for as long as I suppress that and not am open to dialogue to it then I'm not encouraging that individual to be totally authentic. Suicide should never be an option for that particular individual or anybody else for that matter, because there are so many different outlets and avenues. I would strongly recommend um, counseling for that um, young person at this stage so that they could talk about it and try and find avenues and outlets. It's going to take uh, a lot more than one conversation or, or, or one um, you know, piece of dialogue to be able to, to remedy. Let me go to Lorraine on the line. Uh, good evening, A.T. Lorraine. Good evening to you and your very special guest. How are you both? I'm uh-huh. good, good Deva. I'm good and you. What inspiration the gentleman is. Allow me to call him gentleman if that's his preference. I'm not quite sure. But uh, it would be wonderful if he could be somebody who uses this influence at school level because the root problems with acceptance begins at home. And I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a family where I was reminded we were that all people are equal. doesn't matter their color, their race, their gender. And that is why I have quite a few uh, bisexual friends we speak openly, and they are the truest friends you can imagine, um, Patricia. Yes. Um, they'll tell you the honest fact about what they think if you offer their opinions. But on the other hand, we must respect it that there's a constitutional law in South Africa, and then a lot of us are not bound, but we grew up a certain way in certain Christian fair, uh, denominations, and we are bound by the prescripts of what the Bible or the Quran teaches. And it's ingrained in us, and we've, we've come to accept it not because what we were told is right, but we believe is right. So I'm not saying there should be tolerance of, of the way people behave towards gay and transgender, etc. They are human beings despite their gender orientation. Can we respect that? And for me, this is why I'm so intolerant of the difference between the way we treat each other as either black or Africans or colored or Indian. We are all one race. We are all one group of persons who demand the same kind of respect. 
And that is why I often speak out, even on SAFM, about what I dislike about what's going on in terms of race. Thank you so much. Bye. Um, Lorraine, don't don't uh, hang up. I wanted Devon to perhaps comment on what you've just said, and then for from there onwards, as a voice note, I'd like you to weigh in on since you're also talking about uh, religion. Uh, Devon, yeah, no, I, I I like those sentiments, and I wish that more South Africans echoed the same sort of sentiment. And it's obvious that Lorraine's come from a background where. Um, tolerance has been practiced and levels of acceptance. And the truth is that racism, uh, we could almost dovetail that into the um, discrimination faced by the LGBT community at the moment. It's almost one in the same, where this lack of tolerance leads to high levels of, of violence, discrimination, and, and in some petty cases, um, name-calling and, and belittling among certain people. So I really, really enjoy that outlook. So thank you for sharing it. Let thank me go you to this, so let me go to this voice note. Lorraine, just uh, hold the line. Hi, Patricia. Good evening. Uh, it's anonymous. Can you guess balance me? Yeah. I'm a Christian. Uh, how do I accept LGBT people? Uh, since the, as far as I know, I believe that God created Eve for Adam. He only created those two genders. So, how can I deal with this LG society? Okay. Lorraine, I'm going to give this to you because you mentioned Christianity first and then we'll go to you, Devon. So how, how does an Atima who's a Christian and knows about Adam and Eve adjust? Are you still there, Lorraine? I'm here. Can Say you, that again. Just pose that did, question again. Okay, so will. he's saying he's a Christian, right? This Atima. Yes. How does he then accept um, what is not in the Bible because he knows about Adam and Eve. That's his question. Well, if he doesn't know the Bible, then he wouldn't know. And I'm not professing to be uh, or say totally with the Bible, but I know the basics of what the Bible teaches. And I have to accept those principles. But the Bible in no way indicates to me that I should mistreat and maltreat people who are different to who I am. Because then I will be aspiring to be a racist as well. And that is not who I am. I have friends who have asked me who are of different uh, gender bases, would you come to our wedding if we invited you? And I said, um... I would come because I know you guys, but that doesn't mean I would... I I know for a lot of people this would be difficult to understand or comprehend, but it it wouldn't mean that I accept that communion. I would respect it. Mm. And and for some people that's... Even for me sometimes, I wonder am I being truthful and honest with what my faith tells me versus what is happening around us in far, in a, insofar as change is, 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 is coming up where different gender groups are based. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Lorraine. Thank you for thank being you. honest there. And I hope the A-team I heard your perspective from a, a, a Christian point of view. Let me thank go you. now to Devan. Devan, um, how would you respond to this A-team as saying, well, in, in the Bible, there was Adam and Eve, and how does he then accept? Because he's not asking it in a malicious way. He's just being genuine. How does he accept what he has never learned? Yeah, and religion is a deep-rooted value system. I think with many people, whether it's Christianity or Islam or or different branches of of many different religions, um, one will probably at some point ask the question, if uh, biblically it's wrong, then how then may I accept this? Because it just goes against my value system, my religious grain. And it's a very legitimate question, really. So I think um, this is a great place to start, is actually asking the question, having a conversation with the religious leader in the organization in terms of how they would deal it. We've had many instances like the Catholic Church and so many other churches now embracing, now also um, legislating in their part of their code of conduct or constitution of their religious organization, even marrying same-sex um, couples. So we've come in leaps and bounds with uh, with the certain religious organizations in South Africa and globally. Um, constitutions have changed, religious societies have changed, and it's just a matter of time before more and more organizations start to, to catch on. But this doesn't speak to the individual's belief system and their relationship with their religious books, the Torah or the Bible, or whatever the case may be. And we could almost classify to think of it in this way. If somebody in the congregation or the organization comes to you and tells you that they are grappling with this idea and they may be attracted to somebody of the same sex. And it's important to self-reflect and it's important to ask this question. So if somebody close to you in the congregation had to ask you, how are you going to react? Um, you've got a close relationship with this individual. And I'd like for the caller and other individuals listening now who grapple with the same um, sort of uh, idea in their, in their mind, um, think, put it into context. Imagine if it was your, your neighbor and then bring it slightly closer. Imagine if it was your cousin and then bring it even closer. Imagine if it was your child. What then would you, would you advise the person on the other end. How then can you counsel? What would your mindset be at that moment in terms of um, um, sharing, guiding? And how then are you going to counsel? And you see, when we bring it closer to home, we start reflecting. And when we start reflecting, we then start to ask questions. And I would encourage the caller to then have these discussions in their home cell groups, in their congregation, to start being a little bit more open about it, like they should be with many other discussions. There was a time in South Africa where African people were not allowed to enter into certain religious organizations based on the color of their skin. Was it right? Um, I'm, I, it was not right. It was uh, it was something that was completely horrendous to endure if you were a person of color. So there are so many different things that have been challenged, and this was a message from some religious leaders in that you were not allowed to sit next to that individual. Things are changing in a way where um, sometimes we, we, we can't necessarily understand it, but through dialogue and understanding, we get closer to understanding the level of change and how we should be processing it. Let me go to an A-team on the line, Rametsi. Good evening. Good evening, and how are you? Good, thanks. All right, I was just trying to 
to respond to the caller who talked about Adam and Eve. If, if you look at the version Bible, it never indicated that uh, Adam and Eve had sex to have children of different whatsoever. But it only said they ate uh, unrecommended fruit. But the penalty thereof was that Eve will give birth painfully. Therefore, I would suggest if, if we want to accept uh, LGBT uh, uh, society, so be it unconditional. Because if we can go deeper into that behavior, somewhere, somehow we are going to, you know, to, to cripple because we have, in other words, we'll be forced to, to go deeper in it and then analyze it because we are not sure whether it is a food binding or is summary. Thank you and good night. Thank you very much, Rametzi. Let me go to these messages on SMS and WhatsApp before we close off. This one is from Anonymous in Peter Maritzburg, who says, My partner and I are gay. We're together for years now. Our families accept us. The temples where we pray accept us. We're accepted by all. Tolerance is the foundation of everything. Another one says, hi, SAFM, love the show. People should just accept that people are different. There's no need to kill someone just because he or she is different. Let's love one another. This is from Godeng um, uh, in Douglas. And then our A-teamer, who's anonymous here, says, I've accepted my stepdaughter as she is. She plays soccer. She's comfortable in her shorts and ulsters. And the rest I respect as she is. And I love her to bits. So many A-teamers are advocating for us to accept and love. And like Lorraine was saying, it doesn't mean that you you, you you accept because you will do the same. You accept because we are all human beings. Devan, um, what's your parting shot? Uh, my parting shot is that I would like uh, more families to, to engage in discussion, to talk about it, to break those uh, boundaries, and, and just to be very open to... To, to, to communicating with their children, communicating with the relative. Sometimes when we communicate openly and share viewpoints, we have very healthy debate, very healthy dialogue, and we encourage people around us to share their viewpoints. Um, and, and I think when we get to this point where we're that comfortable, we start to build levels of self-esteem, no matter what it is. And, and remember, the cornerstone really is not whether you're part of the LGBT community. The, the cornerstone really is what is the content of your character. So more powerful than asking what is your gender, what is your sexual, what is your sexual preference, what's your sexuality? A more pertinent question at this moment is what is the content of character and are you a functioning leader in society at the moment that has the power to influence other people. And that question really should be high on the agenda within certain communities and families and social structures, not really who, uh, you know, what your preference and your likes and dislikes are. That is simply, if we ask that question, then we prepare any child or any individual for any sort of identity or, or sexual um, you know, confusion they may be experiencing right now, and thus we're equipping them with the tools to deal with it. There's nothing worse than having somebody suffer depression and anxiety as a result of not being able to fit in to a particular group of people. So my parting shot really is communication and conversation starting at home is really the thing that's going to liberate us 
uh, in this uh, in this arena. Devon, thank you so very much for joining us and sharing so much insight and knowledge. Have a good evening. You're welcome. Thank you. A-teamers, the Pride Month has begun. It's also Youth Month here in South Africa. It's, it's a month of many, many things. So let's make sure that we keep love alight. May goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.